Welcome to episode 116 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, the podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the art and business of freelance illustration. Ninja Mountain is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. On the show this week, we have Sokar Miles. At garblamey.com. And Kieran Yanner. At kieranyanner.com. And I'm Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. And wow, it's been a little bit, been a little bit, guys. Um, Gen Con was a great time. I, I didn't have much time to, I didn't have any opportunity to really record, even with so many ninjas on the floor. Who was uh, there? Oh, we had Eric, we had John, we had Ralph, we had Drew, and then there was there was little old me. But um, we were all scattered to the four winds. John was over out at uh, Cubicle Seven. Eric was over at Dark Skull. Uh, Ralph was in the Ralph and Drew were in the art show, and I was on the main floor with uh, Dragon Dice. So I wasn't even in the art show this year. Ralph was there. Yes. Like, he came all the way across the ocean for this. All the way across the pond, and he did quite well. He did quite well this year, so I think he'll be back <laughs> yet you again. Know, Next year, I want to share a booth with somebody, but I don't want to actually be there. I just want to FedEx my art there and then video conference myself in. Oh, there you go. <laughs> can that can that be done? Is that like a thing? Can people? I do honestly that? don't know. I think there. I think the requirements for the art show are that if you have to exhibit only your own work within your booth. What if you're sharing a booth? There, that's the point. They don't. They don't want people sharing. They don't let people share booths. They so tend you not can't do a Ninja Mountain booth. Um, is Conceptopolis? Oh wait, no, that was probably not a uh, booth within the artist alley. It was probably. Um, it would have been in the main floor. Yeah. Well, some conventions allow people to share booths, and I want to go to one of those ones. But I just want to be on somebody's laptop and not actually physically be there. Oh well. That, that's the only way I'm ever going to get to go to a convention. Mm-hmm. I really want to go. I want to see what all the excitement is about. So if somebody can bring me on a computer, then that would be awesome. You know, I'll pay for half the booth and send art and stuff. Well, that's one way to freeboot a show and find out what it's about. You yeah, heard- I don't know if they allow that or if they have Wi-Fi that's good enough. But if that's a thing, I want to do it. I, what, my friends over at Dragon Dice, they experienced a little bit of spottiness here, at least early on. with The, uh, the Wi-Fi is quite taxed. Over uh-huh. the course of the four days, because you know thirty thousand people are running around in there, and they have a, quite a few exhibitors all making use of the internet, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> so it gets a little bit spotty at times. But maybe something to think about. Figure it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, it would be better than never being able to go to a convention ever. True. I, 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 I was curious about the potential about uh, the about the potential for a Ninja Mountain booth on the main floor. But they're quite they're quite expensive, and there's not a whole lot of space afforded for the for the cost. You How know? much are they? Well, I think that the base prices are about sixteen hundred. That's not that. That's not that bad. I mean, if there were, how many ninjas are we? True, true. Because if we you know. if we're a bunch of ninjas and uh, a booth is sixteen hundred, and 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 we divide it up among however many ninjas want to go, then. You know, we could each send a few pieces of art, some prints maybe as well, and uh, fill up the booth. And, and, you know, only one or two ninjas would actually have to be there at any one time. So most people, if they attended, could just wander around and enjoy themselves while somebody manned the booth. 
That, I mean, that might be a bit complex, but that would be pretty cool because, I mean, that way you could do events too, so you'd actually have people sit there for signings and, and whatnot. And then, yeah, as you said, like people could go off and wander around. And, um, and then you've got more exposure on the main floor as well for um, selling stuff. But. There was that. You know, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed being out on the main floor. There was, there, there's, more, um, there's certainly more traffic. For yeah. an artist, I think... Uh, I think the people there are probably more incidental eyeballs on your work in the main floor. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if that those people were hardwired to be looking for artwork and artists in particular when yeah. they're out there. Still, it would be kind of it would be cool from a social point of view and a networking point of view. And mm. uh, um, yeah, that would be that would be you know I'd, I'd go in on that. Yeah, I, I got a few visitors while I was out there, which was nice. It was nice, and and if everybody knew, like if we if we planned it and 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 paid for it and and you know got all ready for it, and we were like, oh yeah, ninjas are we're all going to be there, um, and then people would probably come and see us. Yeah, then we'd have to come up with things to sell the co- to make back the cost of that trip. Hmm. And we could sell like uh, ninja keychains. You know, you can get them made in um, rubber or whatever. Mm-hmm. You could sell our bodies. Sell our bodies. <laughs> Speak for yourself, dude. I don't think anyone's gonna want my body. You heard your folks here first, folks. Kieran Yan will be on hand next year at Gen Con. <laughs> Selling his body. Yeah. Oh man. But uh let's see here. I think you had an interesting thought to discuss here, Karen. I you you were you, why don't you lay it out for folks what you experienced the other day and we can oh um just getting um compared to to other artists um you know it can be kind of um demoralizing and frustrating um but uh you know it's um after after i had um uh, whined about it <laughs> um it was brought to my attention by a few people that um uh that you know everyone has their influences um and you know it's um, you know, in the end, people get more famous for um, a certain style just because they become more famous. It may not be because they're an originator of that style. Um, it's just that they're in the right place at the right time and they had a better sense of marketing their work. Um, so. Also, once you get really, really awesome and famous and stuff, people will compare other people's work to yours and it'll be their turn to get annoyed by it. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, oh, man, you must be a big fan of Kieran Yanner. Yeah. And wow. they'll be like, no, this is my style. I made it up by myself. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just... Um you know, it, it just like when you get really, really into doing an illustration, um, and then because I mean, you, you're the way you end up. Well, at least a lot of people end up drawing is from memory. Um, you know, things that you've seen over your lifetime, and you know, if you're you've been thinking about something, or um, yeah, that just well, sort of ends up coming out in your work without realizing it and then someone shows you a piece of artwork that is very similar um mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of it just poo-poos on your idea <laughs> well, who do you see as your uh, 
who do you see as your influences in primary? Um, you know, it's it it really it depends on what I'm working on, uh, which is sad in itself because uh, Patrick had uh, emailed me afterwards and I talked talked to him for a bit and going through my portfolio, um, the thing that um, I can kind of see um, being re repetitive is more the the this kind of color I use not really the subject matter or the actual execution of the illustration. And that's kind of, um, I don't know if that's worrisome or not. Uh, I mean, I, I get a variety of work um, because I can work in a bunch of different styles, um, but it kind of makes you feel a little schizophrenic. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of harder to sell you that makes sense. Well, you know, I, one of the things I find that unifies your work is very clearly a, a strong color sense, and you do these really great color shifts within your work that not a lot of artists really try to pull off. And so, yeah. I mean, I think I've, I think of those things as somewhat hallmark to you. So and you in, fact, you, in fact, do have a strong sense of composition, which I think might not jump out at a... Uh, and a lot of people, especially less experienced artists, because composition tends to be something that uh, it's it's just, uh, a bit complicated to learn and recognize a good one, and uh, um, it takes people a while to notice that. But you, yeah. you do have that going on. Yeah, but you know, it'd be nice to be able to like if someone sees a black and white piece of your work, or um, you know, even even a rough sketch, they can kind of. They go, oh, that's that person's work. It'd be nice to be able to sort of have that, um, as opposed to um, uh, you know other. So there, are, there are disadvantages to that too, though. I mean, you would not mistake my work for someone else's, even though it is heavily influenced by Rackham, Dore, Durer, and various others. Uh, you wouldn't mistake yeah. it for theirs. But uh, also, you get kind of typecast. People assume that you uh, you can't draw other things than you know yeah. what you're known for. I mean, a few years ago when I was doing a lot of RPG work, I applied to do a job that was um, some science fiction illustrations and I didn't get the job because they thought they hired someone who did science fiction. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, the other guy had flaked out. So they asked me if I could do the job, but it would have to be done by the weekend. So um, I did end up getting the job, which is unusual for that, but I had to do it practically overnight, <laughs> and um, I don't think um, it, it was really my best work for that reason. <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> uh, but you know, you you get you do get typecast. People assume that because you don't tend to draw certain things, or you haven't been hired a lot to draw them, that you can't draw them. Yeah. But you, everybody knows you can draw anything. <laughs> well, but but. Yeah, I know. It's it's just I don't know. Yes. I, I I would just like to you know. It, well, for example, when you go to form an art book of some sort, it <laughs> you know I've considered it uh, you know because I've done a lot of work and I've considered putting everything together in an art book. But every time I consider it, I look at it and I go, well, what the hell do I put on the cover? <laughs> because it's like because <laughs> you know I mean it's so schizophrenic that it's like there Maybe. there is. Maybe you should do, um, you know, some artists do an art book and instead of just doing a general art book, they do like, um, oh, uh, 
they do like a, they pick a theme like uh, Stephanie Law did uh, art book a while ago and I think it was all mythological creatures if I'm not mistaken and she's done a, I think she's actually done a couple of art books and she did one with tarot cards as well and you know they all have different themes so it's not like she has to put all her artwork in one book so yeah. maybe pick one of your favorite kinds of artwork to do and put that well, in your artwork. or you know given the variety in the, the the variety of styles that you've employed you could just basically break the book down in those terms uh, chapter yeah, one the funny true, stuff yeah. chapter two the you know yeah you know that sort of thing the basically <laughs> breaking <laughs> it down on style <laughs> yeah well you mean you look at um, there are plenty of I think there are plenty of artists who've worked in multiple styles and they had to and if they wanted a, a book that compiled the body of their work you know they would have to approach it in that way yeah. Or you could pick, um, or you could pick. Uh, is there a particular type of work that you want to be doing more of instead of other types of work? Because if there is, you could choose that as a theme of your book, and hopefully, the extra publicity would get you more work in that vein. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I I really like dark fantasy, and that <laughs> becomes a problem. It's almost owned that, by Brahm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so. It, so you feel, you know, and, and doing something like that, you kind of, I don't know, I, I feel like, um, uh, you know, you feel like a hack, I guess. You know, if you, if you kind of do that and then, you know, someone picks it up and kind of flips through it and, you know, or they, they don't think about you, <laughs> they just think about the person, you know, that's uh, a lot more well-known um, and that, you know, that kind of is a little frustrating. Um, there's a, there's always going to be someone, though, you know? Well, what do you, if what it's do you... not somebody who's currently alive and working, it's going to be somebody from the annals of art history that was so amazing that you know you'll never touch them. Like uh, me and Gustave Doré, I'm really glad he isn't alive right now because <laughs> if he was, I'd just have to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well, History has a way of all my commissions. <laughs> yeah, you know, your place in history is going to have very little to do with your input. Yeah. So, I, way I way I see it, it's like don't worry so much about how people categorize you or your work. It's it, it it's it's almost a losing comp. It's almost a losing game when you do that. Yeah, there's yeah. no winning that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it the cool thing is you know it does force yourself to. Um, uh, think of other avenues, like try to explore something to make yourself more unique. But that's kind of frustrating in itself because you want, you know, a lot of the times you just want to do art that is kind of easy to you because it comes mm -hmm. naturally. Um, totally. So then to like treat every piece as like some excruciating journey of artisticness, <laughs> you know, is, is like... Uh. But if you, when you start worrying too much about, oh, does this look too much like this or am I doing yeah. you know then you start sort of choking up and not doing your best work either yeah that's true yeah I think there's a, there also is a natural evolution that goes on the longer you are working as an artist mm -hmm. and and the you know the more you settle into your own mistakes that make up your own style mm -hmm. and, and your mm -hmm. own workflow the, the more your work becomes a, a, a strong theme or a um, motif starts to emerge. It's, it's yeah. easy to forget that we're we're all actually still quite young, and yeah, most true. of us are only about what maybe ten years into our career. Yeah, and 
that's still quite young in the scope of things. Yeah, I feel true. I feel really old right now, leaning over my tiny little folding <laughs> table with my back aching like a devil. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drawing this picture, and I'm so stupid. I decided to give it this really complicated border <laughs> with lots of flowers and roots, not realizing that drawing this fucking, uh, excuse me, effing border would take me an entire week all by itself. I'm working through the weekend to finish this border. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Yes, I am. You're supposed to just put in like a, a a single line with border around it. Don't even you know, just like <laughs> just like with a ruler, you know. And there you go. Oh, isn't that so trim and nice? Don't even mention rulers to me. Rulers already added two hours to the workflow of this picture when a ruler made a smudge, which I had to cover up with big black clouds. Oh wait, and how did you smudge with a ruler? Aren't you didn't you raise your ruler off the surface of your paper? Um, well, the ruler was lying flat on the surface of the paper. Capillary action, yeah. And I, I drew a line along the ruler, and then my thumb nudged the ruler, and the ruler went skating across the page, and it dragged ink with it. Uh, oh. And uh, and I was like, oh, no, I don't believe it. What am I going to do? This is, this is unsalvageable. <laughs> then I realized that the top part of that particular area of the picture was looking kind of sparse anyway so I added these really detailed dark clouds which took me hours to draw so I was like ooh nice safe so car but it also <laughs> cost me a bunch of time yeah. <laughs> isn't it basically every drawing and painting essentially a rescue mission Pretty yes much. <laughs> yes, and it's been especially that way for me the last couple of weeks. Like I, I had the bird shit picture which people who follow my Facebook would know about I, I was drawing this uh, incredibly complicated scene from the wind in the willows, you know, the piper at the gates of dawn scene with all these different characters in it and lots of foliage. And I went to take a shower and when I came back, a bird had flown in the window and shit on it. And so that's I had not to, a bird. That was a critic. Yeah, that was, that was a very vociferous little critic. Uh, everybody's a critic. So, um, I decided I was, I was not going to take kindly to this criticism. So, uh, after the bird shit had dried and I'd scraped it off, there was still a stain there and I had to, I had to ink all over that stain and all around the stain and add extra ink to the whole rest of it. And it, it screwed up the whole balance of positive and negative space from what had been planned. So it didn't come out quite as intended, but it wasn't horrible either. But, you well, know, that, that kind of thing, it's just like... You, you can't plan for that. You, there's, you can't. All you can do is react to it, I suppose. Oh, man. I, know, I remember the story where uh, apparently Frazetta had produced a cover. And he, he got it in on time. And the art director left it out on the windowsill to dry. Because they didn't no. need it quite that moment. And uh, apparently by the time they remembered it, about a week later. Oh, uh, no. In New York City. <laughs> they uh, discovered that it was covered in pigeon lime. Um, oh no, that that is so much worse than one little splat. <laughs> I'd love to know which painting that was. I forget now. Yeah, so just to know not to buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> it Public was a it was clearly a collaborative effort. Uh huh. Digital age. Some oh, unsolicited God. avian collaboration. I guess I guess that's a that's one of the very unforeseen risks that we all run. Don't leave the window open when you have a bird feeder on your balcony. Oh man, it, you know it's 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 one thing I suppose if you find your work being compared to a particular artist, 
But if that artist is in fact an, an influence of yours, should that be considered? Is that a reasonable? Is it almost a compliment, or is this artist that you are compared to a a significant um, uh, resource for you? Oh me? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, wait, you know, again, it depends on the piece. Oh yeah, uh-huh. but, uh, you, you mentioned it, that you're, it, you're very like influenced depending on the uh, subject that and person in mind when you're doing something. Um, you know, then yeah, you know, um, because that's kind of a goal in a way uh, is that if you're thinking of that person while doing that piece, that it's, there's there's a certain level of homage that that you're that you're executing in here. Uh, but if you're not, yeah, yeah, apparently I wear my influences on my sleeve. That sort I don't of thing. I, I mean, I sometimes keep work from other artists open on my iPad while I'm drawing, so I can totally sneak their line work. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. If if I know um, a bunch of artists that are that have uh, either done a similar piece, like environment-wise, or maybe pose, or just painting technique, I'll have stuff up, um, or even you know subject matter. Um, oh and yeah. It, it's it's especially important if you're working on a uh, a publication that has a particular style as well that that's heavily influenced by someone like uh, Paizo, for example. Um, you know, Wayne Reynolds is um, does a lot of work, uh, so having having his stuff nearby is is a lot of help, um, especially understanding the um, the iconic characters and stuff. So. Hmm. It's not unusual for me to have work of artists who is, I, I feel definitely are influences on me. And, and once in a while, I'll go further afield and I'll look at unusual palettes. I'll think about, uh, I'll look at the, the the color schemes for a particular painting and see if I can apply some of that mentality to a work I'm work doing, you know, to something I'm doing. Yeah, yeah totally. And that's actually pretty good fun. So you kind of find yourself getting into the head somewhat of the uh, person whose work you are, you know, you're examining. Yeah. But, um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'll just see some art that had, you know, an awesome idea, some neat texture, um, some cool line work or, or something, and I think I could incorporate that, you know, without plagiarizing outright. But mm-hmm. I could, uh, I could, I could borrow from this. Yeah. Like uh, I, I, I drew, I drew a troll a while ago, and. Uh, uh, Oh, there was a complete uh, oh, what was the name? John Bauer influence. I gave it the big nose and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was all, oh yeah, this is a total John Bauer ripoff. I even posted it online, and I mentioned that. It seems. It seems. I guess it seems uh, uh, when they're when the artist is dead too. <laughs> it's a little more fair game. <laughs> wait. Oh wait, he's he's dead. John oh, that sucks. Yeah, I didn't know he was dead. That sucks. Wasn't he the turn of the century uh, Scandinavian guy? Yeah, oh, wait. Oh, yeah, it's like 2012. Of course he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting. forgetting just how much time has gone by. But he lives on in you, so Carr. Oh, well, you know, there's sometimes there's somebody you thought was dead and you're really surprised to find out they're not dead. Like Michael Haig isn't dead. And, you know, I, I, he was my favorite illustrator when I was a little kid. I always be reading uh, um, The Wind in the Willows, and Michael Haig illustrated that. And I would read The Hobbit, and Michael Haig illustrated that. And he illustrated Peter Rabbit and oh, wow. the, the Wizard of Oz. And, like, all my favorite books were illustrated by Michael Haig. 
and he is totally still alive and well, still well, working. Not totally, you know, he might be. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's a zombie, but <laughs> no, he he is still alive, and I believe still working. And so that that is, you know, I I wouldn't have thought he would be still alive because I was reading these books when I was really little. And and uh, loving the illustrations, but he is alive. And in fact, I'm totally looking at his work while I'm illustrating another edition of The Wind in the Willows. Like not copying, but uh, looking at, you know, the 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 way he manages to capture the atmosphere of it perfectly, mm. and trying to trying to borrow a little of that. Yeah, I'm trying to figure who I look at. I, I've been looking at. Oh, oddly enough, I've been looking at uh, no, let's see, of course Frazetta and of course uh, Lockwood, and I and I have a you know, books of Brahm, and when I, as I I'm working, I'll be soon be working with some new paints. So I'll be I'll be uh, looking even more closely at these guys since they're primarily oil painters or digitalists. So mm-hmm. I gotta figure myself out on that score. Um, what was that? Uh, was I had a thought, and it was a good one, but it's gone. Oh, don't you just hate when that happens? So sad. Maybe I'll just follow up with a... Well, for instance, uh, you're talking about people being surprised by the passing of somebody or not passing of somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, NASA lost a very uh, an icon. Oh, yeah, that's right. Week. Neil Armstrong died. Yeah. Neil Yesterday. Armstrong. One of a very small group of human beings to set, forth, you know, set foot on the moon. I, I didn't mean to sound happy about that, by the no, way. No, 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 no. Uh, what I saw on Facebook was uh, somebody had posted some of the response that they found online. And uh, some people would actually go as far as to say, yeah, Tour de France really lost one of their top competitors. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time I'm drawing a picture with the moon in it, I'll be thinking about his little feet stepping on it. See, uh, th- there you go. Even with names, you know, depending on how famous you are at any point in time. I mean, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon and, you know. You know <laughs> yeah. Passed over by cyclists. Yeah, levels of fame don't necessarily correspond to one's um, achievements in life. What else were we going to talk about? Oh, were we going to talk about our studio setups? Yeah, I thought that'd be okay. Yeah, I, and um, I can I can already tell you. I mean, I don't know who has the best studio so far. Some sounds like Kieran has not a bad setup. What do you? What's your? Uh, what you? Where do you work, man? Um. Uh. Well. Um. Two two to three days a week, I'll be working at Goblin Works. Um. In Redmond, um, starting next week, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, I work from home for the rest of the time. Um, yeah. So, so what will you be doing at Goblin Works? Is it Goblin Works you said? Yeah, they're. Um, Do they uh, have goblins there? No, no. Paizo, um, Paizo is going to be doing the Pathfinder MMO. Oh. Uh, and so I believe Lisa par- partnered with uh, Ryan Dancy. To um, and I believe someone else uh, to uh, form Goblin Works, and they put up a Kickstarter, and it went crazy. Um, so they're putting together um, uh, some stuff uh, to show, and then 
Uh, I believe they may be going for more backing after that. I'm not too sure. Um, that's all like financial stuff that's to do with them. Um, not really questions I would ask. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean the response has been really really positive. Um, so that'll be a, that'll be a really cool project to work on. And being that I've worked with Paizo for a, a long time. Um, it's kind of, you know, it kind of comes naturally, I guess. Yeah. So that's good too. Well, in terms of workspace, which do you prefer, working at their shop or at home? I haven't actually, oh, I haven't started there. I'll be starting next Wednesday. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I always prefer working at home just because I have everything set up the way I need to. Um, and uh, I have, I have problems focusing, so it's really, it's a much better situation for me because I can have a very clear routine that's not interrupted by other people that are around me mm-hmm. uh, and I can just sort of breeze through work pretty easily. Uh, in, in an office environment it's a little, a little more tough because I have constant distractions and um, so um, but yeah. No. Well a lot of people, have, most people have the opposite problem when they're at home they get distracted but at office, they feel more uh, accountable, so they work. Oh, no, no, not for me. I don't know. I've never worked in an office in my entire life. I just realized I never had a, I've never had a proper job. Well, I guess illustrating is a proper job, but I've never had an <laughs> office job. <laughs> never went corporate, huh? No, no. I like I like working at home in spite of how crappy my studio is. And oh, uh, my my whole apartment is about 450 square feet including the balcony, which is quite large. So the apartment itself is tiny. Like the kitchen is part of the living room. That is how tiny my my apartment is. Oh, wow. And uh, a lot of the time when I'm drawing, I try to make sure that the drawings are quite small, you know, eight by ten or smaller, so that I can just balance a book on my lap and put the drawing on the book and then sit in my most comfortable chair so my back doesn't hurt. But um, lately I've got quite a few commissions for larger pieces, so I've had to bust out my fold-out desk which isn't a proper drawing table and doesn't have an angle to it, so I end up having to really bend over and it's killing my back. Well, it sounds like you need to get one of those, um, well, you've seen them, they're tabletop drafting tables. You just They have little little feet on the upper half so that when you, you can just tilt it up at an angle, rest it on a desktop. I don't think I have a desk big enough to put one of those on it. <laughs> well, they come in different, I think they come in different sizes. The other day, I was working on a drawing, and it was 13 inches by 19 inches. And while I was working on it, the edges of it, one edge of it was always slopping over the edge of my table. That is how lame my drawing table is. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get yourself a lap board or something. I know. I need to get, I need to get something. Um, I've quit my garbage day jobs now, and I'm freelancing full-time again. Oh, so if anybody's listening and they they want to hire me, um, uh, well, actually, I am already pretty busy, but now's the time to hire me before I get even busier. <laughs> <laughs> I draw eight hours a day, five days a week, so I'm pretty fast. I think there was a, I remember reading an article about the Filipino comic artist invasion of the 70s. And they mentioned one snippet about one artist. I think it was either Alex Nino or uh, Alfredo Alcala. And 
this artist was known for sitting in the corner of his apartment. Didn't have a drawing board. He just had a, uh, a you know a lap board basically, and he'd sit cross-legged on the floor again, his back to the wall, and he just chain smoke. Yeah. And he would pencil ink and letter nine pages a day. Oh my God! How did how did he do that? How could he be so fast? I have no idea. I am. I I take a lot longer than that. But, but a, apparently he was famous for this. Is he still alive? I honestly, I at that pace, I think I I'd have died years ago. Me too. <laughs> I t- it takes me. Uh, it can take me up to a week to finish a page, depending on how complicated it is. But the average for a one-page illustration would probably be about a day. Oh, man. If, it, if it wasn't, you know, insanely detailed, which the one I'm working on right now is. Yeah, I, th- I think writer Mark Vanier told the story of this. You know, he used to visit the artist in a studio, and be, eventually he would be called upon to do basically run errands for the, for the man. <laughs> you know, he'd deliver his pages, buy buy more paper, ink, things like that, to keep this to basically to keep this human factory moving. Wow, I'm I'm very jealous. I wish I could ink that fast, but uh, I think very few of us can. Um, he, he was all brush, and he was a brush inker. I guess it could go a bit faster with a brush. Possibly, you can could put quite a bit of ink. You could load that brush up if it's a if it's a good quality brush, you know. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, maybe I'd have to cut down on the fine detail a bit if I wanted to ink that much. I, I think day. I'd end up going through how many brushes a day. <laughs> I, if, go, I go through a ridiculous number of nibs. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm doing it wrong or what, but uh, John, they wear they uh, wear out fast. John Byrne was noted for a similar amount of speed because I think there was a time when he was writing and doing the art chores on two books a month. Wow. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that. I mean, how does one do that without simply dying? I don't know. Talking about dying, my dog is recovering from getting some sort of stomach bug, oh. and Aww. has the most greasiest farts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> the kind of fart that just lingers and clings to everything in the room. It's like yeah. an enclosed decomp. Anyone who's ever watched CSI will know what I'm referring to. I oh. do. Oh my god. That is that is uh, too much information. Thank you, <laughs> n- n- dog farts. Wow. Uh, you know, for the longest time, I thought owls didn't have assholes. <laughs> what? Well, you know how owls, after they eat, they cough up an owl pellet. Oh, oh okay. I thought they. Uh, That's poop. just the undigestibles. Yeah, I thought that was their entire excretory process was boking up. Owl pellets. I did not. So I thought owls were just closed at the bottom. Well, that would be a tough <laughs> life. Yeah, that would be pretty horrible. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I, I thought that, but for the longest time I thought owls, yeah, they, they didn't have anuses. Well, 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 speaking of owl shit, here I am <laughs> in my studio. I often yeah. end up working quite late, so there you go. Night owl. Get it? See that segue? That was, yeah, that was beautiful. Let's, let's take that segue for a walk, folks. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. The, um, I've got my studio set essentially is I'm now facing my computer. If I swivel my chair to the right, there's my drawing board. And to the right of that is my mixing area. And just beyond that is the backside of a large television. 
because my studio takes up about half the, the living room. My studio is my living room. <laughs> I, am si- I am sitting looking at my TV right now. I could be watching it if I wasn't talking to you guys. In fact, I sometimes do that. If I'm working and I know that it's going to be more than eight hours for that day, I'll put on like, I'll go on Netflix and put on like all the old episodes of Breaking Bad or something mm. and just watch them one after another, after another, after another all day while I'm drawing. Well, I'll listen to them, not watch them because I can't. It's be a good life. It's a good life. Uh, yeah, until you run out of stuff to watch. I actually found myself watching Desperate Housewives. Oh, you poor creature. There was like nothing else to watch. I was all, oh my God, when is the new season of Dexter starting? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, whenever I walk into another artist's studio, it doesn't seem to matter how small it might be or how grand it might be. I, I seem to experience equal amounts of envy. I don't think you'd envy my studio. <laughs> well, yeah, but having that. a dedicated room or space. I, I don't. I don't. I have a, I have a big orange chair and that I sit in when I'm working on small pictures. And I have a little fold-away desk that I put away after I'm done with it for working on larger pictures. Mm-hmm. And then I have a little table on wheels that has about a million bottles of ink on it. Huh. Well, you could just basically turn your entire apartment into your studio if you wanted to. Think about it. Yeah, I mean, a while ago I had the flu and I had this commission I really had to finish. So I even turned my bed into my studio. And I was (laughs) in bed and I was drawing and I got ink all over my nice white covers. And then my mother visited and she's like, Hey, what did you do to those bed clothes I bought you? And she used her thickest Scottish accent, didn't she? Yeah, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, that was, yeah, and she wouldn't buy me any more bed clothes because I ruined those ones. You just so can't have nice things. Yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't be letting my mother buy that kind of thing for me anyway. But I don't know, she comes here and she's like, wow. Your computer desk sucks, or your bed sheets are ugly, and then she'll buy some stuff, and I'll use it. Sounds like a run for her. Hmm? (laughs) Yeah, I like my mother. She's very generous. Now, Kieran, you're using you being a digital artist. How have you set up your uh, your office? Is it gives pride of place, I imagine, to a fairly good sized computer desk, or you are you Uh, like on a crate? Kind of a, a small. Um, one, I just got it from um, cb2.com, which is an online furniture store. Um, uh, but I'm going to actually change it to where I'm going to try and go to an architectural salvage yard and um, try and find some old wood to use as a, a, a new desktop and mm-hmm. then um, uh, build a standing desk. Uh, I used a standing desk at Microsoft, um, and that was really good for my back mm-hmm. and if I go back to just sitting down I'll end up screwing up my lower back again so doesn't it become painful on your feet if you're standing for many many hours uh, it does but it also forces you to take breaks oh yep. yeah I always forget to do that and then I finish drawing and it's been like eight hours and I'm really hungry yeah <laughs> no I have to say I do like working um I liked I liked working when I was standing out on the balcony. That was actually pretty. Uh, it was pretty convenient. The uh, having, especially when you're working on a larger piece and you're up close and personal with it, 
mm-hmm. you got to you have to step back to see how things are playing. Yeah. yeah. I know that uh, guys like Jim Gurney, they'll they have um a large mirror set up behind them on the wall behind them and then they'll just basically look at the mirror to see how things are reading at a distance. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, yeah. Cuz huh. I, I I can't see when I, I when I when I lean back to look at my drawing. I can't see it anymore unless I put my glasses on. Mm-hmm. I need to get I think I'm getting to the age where I need bifocals. Isn't that sad? Need the reading glasses for doing the drawing and then I need the other other glasses for when I have to sit back and get the full picture all at once. <laughs> that is that is very sad. I'm 33 ladies and gentlemen. I need bifocals. Oh, you poor creature. Oh, I'm feeling old. I'm not even married yet. Everybody, every other ninja is married except for maybe Matthias. Oh, wait, you know, he's married. Or is that? I don't remember. I'm just jealous. You have not memorized yet the marital status of all ninjas? No, I haven't. Neither have I. I'm too busy being jealous because I'm not married. I mean, it's easy enough for men because, you know, men just get better with age. Men get dignified and distinguished but women are just like past their prime according to social rules after 30 oh i don't know about that i I mean we had um when i was in art school there was this older lady who was who was modeling for us and she was probably in her 60s possibly her 70s -hmm. and she just had a certain regalness about her you know, she was completely at ease, not modeling nude for us, and she just had these regal postures. Well, I wasn't talking about looks. I was, I was no, no, t- but I'm saying bearing. I, what I'm saying is I think bearing has more to play. Uh, how you present yourself, how you, you know, how you carry yourself. Uh, well, I'm going to be carrying myself like Quasimodo if I don't do something about this stupid desk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if I had, if I could have my, whoa, what was that? What was what? Oh, I heard some weird interference. Might be my wife cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> She's chopping no. things. Oh, uh, if I could have my ideal studio space, it would be separate from all the other rooms in my house. Mm-hmm. Because uh, th- there are quite a few distractions in here. There's like birds all day eating at the bird feeder. And uh, there's uh, the bridge making noise, and uh, yeah, there's the the dinging of my email, mm-hmm. and well, sometimes I feel compelled to get up and check it. I I have visited the uh, the studios of uh, Norman Rockwell and N. C. Wyeth. Really? Yes, I I saw N. C. Wyeth had a basically a very large converted barn. And he was doing, even his largest mural pieces were being constructed in that barn. It was an, an immense space that he worked wow. in. And one whole, basically, uh, the, once the barn doors were open, the place was just flooded with light. Oh, wow. And All right, for some minute. Yeah, it was impressive. I mean, he had scaffolding and ladders. Because you know, he's working on these monumentally sized paintings on you know just gi- gigantic sheets of canvas and all that, you know. Then I went to see uh, Rockwell's. We we saw Rockwell's studio this past weekend. We visited on our way back from Indianapolis. We we visited uh, the Rockwell Museum again. I've I've been there a couple of times now. The what's interesting is that they moved his studio from downtown Stockbridge 
Massachusetts, and they moved it on. Basically, took it up, put it on a truck, and moved it uh, to this small hillside on the grounds of the um, the old Butler estate, which are there. The Butler family apparently constructed the first summer home in the Berkshires, and so they have this this studio is placed on the built on the grounds next to the museum of of Rockwell's work, and Rockwell had this. It was it was it was about thirteen paces, end to end. That's a big that's a big studio. And he had these uh, windows, and they're all north. He had uh, a bl- a bank of windows, which would have been on his left, which was north facing. Mm-hmm. So his uh, studio is basically bathed in light. That's the one good thing I can say for my living room. the The window facing out over False Creek is completely. Uh, the wall facing over False Creek is completely windowed, mm-hmm. and I can I can open the door and I can open the window and it's almost like I'm sitting outside. But sometimes a bird comes in if I open the door and the window, so that's not good. Oh man, is it North Light that's coming in? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's either west or east. I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. What so you get some you get strong light coming through at some point in the day. Yeah, I get I get pretty strong light in the morning and pretty strong light in the evening and. Uh, yeah, sometimes a bird or two comes flying in. They usually go right back out. <laughs> well, what's nice about north light is that it, you don't get that harsh light at, in morning and night, at morning and afternoon, because uh, yeah. the sun rises east and runs east to west, and the sun doesn't come in directly through that window at any point. Yeah, that would be nice. It is kind of annoying um, if, if I'm drawing later into the evening towards 7 o'clock, the light lands right on the paper, and that can be really irritating if I'm putting on white acrylic ink at that time, because then I can't see it. Oh. Uh, it, it stops being visible because of the light shining directly on it. Too strong. Too strong. Yeah, too strong. And and that means that that makes for a very irritating time, because I don't know if I did it right or where I've already inked, and I have to wait for the sun to go away to continue. Ah. Uh, so. Being digital, uh, the light is your enemy. So, oh, yeah, God, you yeah. Lies on your monitor. I remember that from when I used to work digitally. Yeah. I used to have to keep the curtains, like, shut and sometimes even duct tape over, over parts of them. Yeah. Oh, that was, a problem I, that was a problem I was facing, too. And I'm working on an iMac that has that glossy surface screen. Oh, uh, yeah. So those, those are perhaps even more so uh, susceptible to light striking and glaring into the eyes. And it's even worse when I have when I realize my monitor is basically in front of a window, mm-hmm. so it's backlit. Oh, lovely! <laughs> at times of certain times of day, if you're, then it's not such a concern for me because I'm not painting on it anymore. Mm-hmm. But certainly when I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to hide this monitor somewhere in the in the shadow somehow. It's still annoying when you're scanning stuff and you can't see if the color is true or not, or and you can't be quite sure. If the contrast is enough or not, mm. I mean, sometimes people think my work is pencil because I scan it and it looks, the ink looks gray. It's actually black. Oh yeah, yeah. Usually have to bump. Usually have to bump it up on uh, in Photoshop afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I've I've discovered that. 
I got a new printer and scanner, though, because I stood on my old scanner and, and broke the glass, and I was really mad at the time. But it was actually a good thing because I got this large format Epson scanner printer combo. So now when I have bigger pictures, I can usually scan them all in one. Oh, really? Are you running like 11 by 17 somehow? Or? Um, yeah, it did. It, it, um, I can actually fit about 12 by 18 into this scanner and scan that all at once mm -hmm. which was kind of which was really kind of maddening because this picture the last picture it was 13 by 19 so i just barely had to do it in two passes oh that's a huge scanner yeah it is it's, it's really big and uh you know i can i can stick you know most normal sizes of, of drawing in there all and scan them all in one piece without having to worry and I mean, before when I had really big pieces that I wanted to scan, I had to send them out and get them scanned, and they didn't always do a good job. Yeah. But, and I, I also found that the scanner is good because uh, when I'm scanning something larger, you know how a lot of scanners have kind of a lip? Mm -hmm. Well, this one, this one doesn't have that pronounced a lip, so there isn't that much of a smudgy area. Um, and it's really easy, you know, you get a really good result and you can, and you can, uh, blend the pieces together very easily. Oh, without, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been very, it's, it was cheap. I mean, it's not exact. it's not really a top of the line when the printing isn't that good, but the scanning is perfect for my purposes and it's just what I needed. Yeah. I'm, I, I had a, a listener, a friend of mine, uh, inquire about scanners and I didn't have much of, I didn't have an answer for him. I, I, I don't think I've responded. I, I may have mentioned what I'm using is a uh, it's an Epson Perfection V500 photo scanner, and oh, yeah. it, it handles up to it can accommodate a nine by twelve sheet of paper, which is very excellent. It's good enough for my purposes, but not always. If I want to scan, I usually have to scan my uh, larger pieces in at least in two pieces. I got and, I got the Epson Workforce something or other. It's it's a uh, the the printer part of it is kind of annoying because of the way the paper loads, but mm -hmm. but it also prints quite large. It prints I think up to thirteen by nineteen. Oh, no! I've had uh, with my larger paintings, I've had to try photography, and mm -hmm. it works. You know, the, the photography is working. I'm able to take some decent shots. the The problem I'm finding is that my current camera is only ten megapixels, which you'd oh, think yeah. would be adequate to the job, but Really, it's only producing a 300 DPI image at the at the highest uh, print size of nine by twelve. Yeah, that's not so good, is it? Which is yeah, just not at it. It's it's. I mean, my buddy Drew hooked me up with some prints, and he did an amazing job with them. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's using Q Image, and I think that helped to upsample mm -hmm. the um, the resolution for printing at larger sizes. He did a, an amazing job with them, but. Um, I may have to find eventually. I may have to invest in a camera that can better is better capable of handling a larger format. Digital cameras are so expensive, and all the equipment for them. I oh, bought yeah. a lens a few weeks ago because uh, it was it was actually kind of annoying. These seagulls were they built a nest on the roof across from my roof, and I wanted to uh, photograph the mini gulls when they were born. So I bought this uh, 300 millimeter prime lens, which is probably the cheapest lens that's good for bird watching, uh, at $1,400. And 
And I spent $1,400 in this lens wanting to take pictures of these birds. And then a workman came and moved away the nest and broke up all the eggs. <laughs> oh. So it was all, oh, bummer. Sometimes the universe is unkind. It is. Although, you know, I've got a lot of use out of the lens anyway, so I can't mm. really complain. It, it does take awesome pictures of birds, I have to say. But I was very disappointed that I didn't get to photograph the little gulls. Oh, no, yeah. That's no good. I think the gulls were even more disappointed. They were mad. They what? were screaming. Well, they just watched their next generation get swept away by a guy who's making minimum wage. Yes, they did. The Ninja Mountain Podcast. We come within 50 feet of your ears. Despite the restraining orders. Well, I just um, I I bit the bullet and I ordered some new paint for my studio. It's, I've I've been working with the uh, Liquitex soft bodied acrylics and I still and I enjoy working with them. They're they're they they thin very nicely with water and they're you know they they can apply up quite opaquely at need, but they have the the typical disadvantage of all acrylics, and that is, of course, that they dry quickly. So certain blending techniques can be tough to achieve. And um, I was looking online when I found uh, Chroma Atelier brand acrylic colors. And uh, what was interesting about this brand is that they've they're trying to answer the question, you know, answer this problem of uh, the fast drying times. What they've did, they've come up with a formulation that can actually be reactivated with water. Very um, nice. At early stages of drying, you can actually reactivate the paint with water and it will blend. And if the paint has actually dried, you can actually, they have a, a compound, they have a, 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 f a formula that will actually reactivate the paint for blending techniques. That is very innovative. So, You'll have to let us know how it works. Give us a full review of it on the next. Uh... I will. I will. There's some There's some good video online of these paints at work. Art is doing demonstrations with how they operate, and it's uh, it, they're impressive. They impress me enough to want to pick up my usual um, repertoire of colors from my palette and give it a whirl. And I'm, mm -hmm. since I'm working on a large piece right now, I think it might be a good opportunity for me to to try them. Um, so I'm I'm all I'm curious as all get out to see how they perform. It wasn't too bad price wise. I, I kitted myself out for about a little about one hundred and thirty dollars. That's not bad at all. Not too bad. And 80, 80 milliliter tubes of my preferred colors, and uh, I'm already and of course the the unlocking con the un the unlocking formula is what they what they call it. Um, you can spray it onto the area that you're working, and it will reactivate the paint for blending. And I'm I can't. I'm looking forward to trying that. And I think if it if it does what it says on the tin, then it'll allow me to do certain things that I haven't really before been able to do with acrylic paints. Or if oh, I did, I have to really plan for it at the outset. Well, that's really good. Be a very uh, useful for larger pictures that you can't finish in one day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it should be interesting. I, I hopefully allow me certain painterly effects that I never really had access to working with acrylics before, because I love the soft blending achievable with oil paint. 
but it's not something I was ever really able to reproduce in acrylic. What's your workflow like, uh, Jeremy? How long is it when you're doing one of your, uh, you know, A quality pictures, like for for a big client that you really want to pull out all the stops? How long does it take you? I, I take my time. It takes a, it'll take a few days for a small, even for a card assignment. So, I recently had to turn down a project from a client because they wanted to pay me fifty dollars for a card, you know, per card. And yeah, that's not enough. Yeah, the, I, re, I I realized very quickly that my average, I, no no assignment I've ever you know no color assignment I've ever done has ever been less than ten hours. I've never I don't think I've ever really done a color assignment for in less than ten hours. I my process you know I, I gather photo references I do, I'll do a digital color rough I'll. Um, work myself into I, I work at a reasonable size that gives me room to maneuver with the brushes yeah and and my work is pretty highly detailed um, despite what people might see in my watercolors which are a different animal but um, my acrylic paintings tend to be pretty heavily detailed and they uh, no, nothing I do seems to take less than 10 hours yeah I mean I think of some card publishers think that uh I mean, maybe some smaller ones assume that you're actually working at two inches by two inches. How long could it possibly take him to cover that small space? <laughs> yeah, well, I think some people actually do. Um, um, I, I worked at a really small size when I did some Game of Thrones cards. But, mm -hmm. you know, they, I, I kind of wished afterwards that I had done them much larger so that they'd have looked a lot better. But oh, I, I saw some original art from uh, Mark Tadine. And he, uh, darn, no, damned if he wasn't working not that much bigger than card size. Really? It's kind of funny. Well, I guess some people. I guess some people really are working very small. He, you know, uh, he, he was working quite I can, small. I can get away with it in ink. I mean, working really small. Mm -hmm. But I can't. I can't get away with it digitally because I was never really good at fine control with the tablet. Oh yeah, I, I was looking at some of the things, and it was even pieces that looked, you know, that you see them reproduced on cards, and they're just amazing. Then you look at the actual original; he's painting in gouache on these small pieces of card, and it's just amazing the level of detail he gets out of it. He must be painting with eyelashes. I just can't fathom. Yeah. Some people are really good at the miniatures. True, true. Me, I, I kind of have to work fairly. I like working fairly large. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to know if even working at that size does take less time because it is so intricate. Yeah, yeah I just don't... I, I can't see it saving time. Well, I, I can tell you that I did a piece um, a few a couple of weeks ago that was uh, oh, five and a half inches by eight and a half inches maybe. Mm -hmm. um, A5 size, I'm not exactly sure how many inches that is. But um, it's, pretty, it's pretty small. And... Uh, it took me a week because it was that detailed. Mm. Um, normally, normally, uh, normally, a piece that size would take me about a day. But uh, I really went all out. So if you're if you're working small and you're putting a lot of detail in, it can actually be quite time consuming because you, you know you really uh, you really have to um, be conscious of every single stroke. Oh yeah, my own the stuff I'm doing these days. I, my typical card assignment or typical uh, book interior in color usually takes place on a sheet of paper it's about twelve by sixteen. 
Um, That's pretty big. Yeah, I use uh, Canson's um, Montval, I think, or Canson's Montval acrylic paper. It's about a 185-pound paper, and it really stands up well to the abuse I put it through. So I'll use it for watercolors or acrylics, and uh, it stands up nicely. And you don't really have to stretch it because it's just a very, uh, it's a rather heavy paper, sized for acrylics. Although if I'm going to work on something a bit aggressive, I will actually stretch this paper, just in case. Just in case. I don't want to deal with buckling midway through a project. Yeah, that would be annoying. All that kind of consideration makes me really glad I don't use watercolors. I think watercolors would be the worst medium for me because I'm such a control freak and watercolors involve water. Well, I mean, it depends on how... I mean, you can get a, a very crisp execution with watercolor if, you, if you're if you maintaining dry working environment. You know, you keep the paper relatively dry. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not using as much water in your washes. Maybe it's more color than... more pigment than water. You look at some of the, of the work of guys like Paul Bonner who are watercolorists and it just boggles the mind. Oh, yeah, there's some amazing stuff done in watercolor. I think it's just that uh, for someone like me... This, the, the the early stages of a watercolor painting, when you are putting on the washes and, and blocking the, the general colors or whatever you do when you're doing a watercolor. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't do watercolors. I think the washes would be an exercise in horror for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. Like, oh, maybe. it's a wash. It's going all over the place. You know, you know, one of the guys whose work really suggested to me that I could work in, in with watercolors would be guys like Jeremy Jarvis. And Jeremy doesn't do any, doesn't seem to do freelance nowadays. He's an art director now. Uh, he art directs for Magic the Gathering, and um, his stuff was always very impressive to me. And now, of course, I'm 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 sad that it may be a while before we see more watercolor from him. But um, mm. his stuff was he could execute very you know super sharp illustrations with his watercolor. But he knew how to he knew how to modulate between that sharp detail and more uh, that watercolor execution as well. So yeah, that would be a sticking point for me. I'm too. Uh, I I like to I like to be in full control of where everything is going, mm-hmm. which is why things like birds crapping on my work really gets to me. Oh yeah. The universe is trying to be a critic, and you just have to say, hey, leave me alone. Leave me alone, universe. I know. I felt totally picked on when the the, the very next picture I did after the bird picture, um, I, I managed to smudge it with a ruler. I was all, how bad is my luck? Like, what is going on with me? What have I done to deserve this level of punishment? You got up this morning. That's what it, That's what it was. You should have known better. I'm sorry, I was just thinking about boats for some reason. Maybe because I've been illustrating the wind and the willows so much lately, and you know, Ratty is all about the boats. Now this project, is this for a publisher, or is this for a self-directed project? What is this for? Oh yeah, this is for... um. It's for a new edition of The Wind in the Willows for a publisher that does... Uh, they pretty much only do reprints of uh, classics. Would this be described as a dream job? Um, yes. I've always wanted to illustrate The Wind in the Willows because when I was a little kid, 
It was my favorite book. It was such an awesome book. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to be like Mole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Mole was so nice, you know. Everybody liked Mole, so I wanted to be like Mole. Perfect, nice, mild-mannered character. Yeah, except I wanted to be like Mole, but have money like Toad. Have money like Toad. Yeah. So I could have, you know, a motor car and stuff, but everybody would still like me. Now, I remember reading that when I was younger. Was I think everybody off. read that when they were younger. Oh, of course. It's, it's like the best children's book. Of course, now there's probably all those pervert furries ruining it with, you know, mole and rats slash porn. Wow. So, I mean, how far along are you in this project? Have you How long have you been working on it? Actually, I've been working on it for a while because uh, I was really busy at the time I took it on. So the guy said I could just uh, do it whenever. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it this year. Oh, fantastic! I've been uh, I've been finished. I've been working on it, you know, and whenever I whenever I have a little break between commissions since I quit my day jobs, mm -hmm. so I'm really coming along quite nicely on it. How many uh, pieces are you planning for the book? Uh, I think twelve or fourteen. Not a whole lot because it's quite low budget. But, uh, you know, enough so that so you get uh, the major scenes, like uh, the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, Mole in the Wild Woods, uh, and uh, pictures of the major characters. Are these basically, are you doing, are these being sprinkled throughout the book? Are they more like chapter starters, or...? I think they be sprinkled through the book, and then maybe one of them on cover, I think. Mm-hmm. You wanted to put the badger on the cover. How did you come? How did you find this uh, publisher? How did they, how did you come to find yourself working on your dream book? Uh, the publisher actually approached me. Wow! And and initially just wanted to use one that I'd already done, uh, where Badger and Ratty were talking, and then asked me if I had any more Wind in the Willow stuff, and I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, I do. So it kind of grew from there. Oh, cool. Did you find yourself revisiting some of that earlier stuff, or are you, is it all new, or are you going to use some of the older pieces in addition to what you're doing for the book? Oh, yeah, I'm going to use the older pieces, um, uh, like uh, the sea rat and uh, Mr. Mole in the Wild Woods and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Ratty talking to Mr. Badger, because they're, they're, they're all fine. They're older, but they're still fine. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's uh, really good to work on something like that. Uh, now, if I could get a, a job working on the Wizard of Oz as well, that would be really cool. I'd, I'd like to draw that. Be, yeah. yeah, that seems like a good fit for you too. But if, ever, if anybody's listening and they suddenly think, oh, I'm doing the Wizard of Oz, I'm going to hire Sokar Miles, I just have to warn that person I will not draw the hammerheads. The hammerheads? I hate the hammerheads. They're too scary. Um, I had I had the Wizard of Oz that Michael Haig illustrated, and there was this painting of the Hammerheads, and they were just so grotesque and horrible. I dreaded turning that page. <laughs> it's a really good illustration, but the Hammerheads are just bad mojo. <laughs> well, well, congratulations. I mean, I'm trying to think what. Yes, that's a topic all of itself, you know, having the opportunity to do a dream project like that. Is it going to be widely produced or distributed, or is it going to be, I mean, mostly through an online catalog or, or what? Um, it's very small press, unfortunately, but uh, 
you know, you'd be able to buy it on Amazon if you if you want to uh, maybe advertise it a bit. Cool. People can get it. Um, yeah, it'll be good. <laughs> no, do you ever get any stage fright working on something like this? Um, well, kind of. I mean, I want I want the drawings to be among my best because it is such an awesome book, and I want to I want to live up to you know the people who've illustrated it before me, like Michael Haig, mm-hmm. um, and and I want to also. Yeah, uh, you, you know, my illustrations uh, really match with the text and uh, bring forth uh, the mental images I had of the book when I was a little kid. And my mother and I were reading it page about. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I want uh, uh, I, I want to do my best work on this. So it is a bit high pressure and. Uh, um, and so that made it extra annoying when a bird shot in one of the pieces for it. Oh, <laughs> it was like, bird, screw you. Now, if you are you, um, do you find yourself referring quite heavily to Michael Haig, or is he, or is he just one of several artists you you find yourself looking to for inspiration? Or I do look at his work a lot. Um, it's it's very beautiful. It's watercolor, mm-hmm. so it's it's not like mine at all. But I, I look at it because he really captured the characters. I think better than any of the other illustrators who tackled the wind and the willows, and uh, the the bright colors that he used. Uh, they they really he really captured the scenes of the wind and the willows and the river bank and uh, mm-hmm. Bad, Badger's home and. Uh, it just he did he did a wonderful job, and I probably can't really live up to quite that standard. But um, I'm hoping that um, you know whoever reads the book, if they're reading it for the first time and seeing my illustrations, I hope that they uh, it catches their imagination at least somewhat in the way that Michael Hague's illustrations caught mine. Oh, cool! You'll you'll do it justice. You'll do it justice. And you'll make it your own, and that's that's really in the end. I think that's what's going to be the most defining thing. Yeah, I, I I think my illustrations are a bit different from other people who've illustrated it because I did draw the characters to scale. Like when I draw Ratty together with Mr. Badger, I noticed a lot of artists that draw the wind and the willows. They draw them about the same size, mm-hmm. but Rat, Ratty is a water vole, so he could pretty much fit in Badger's mouth. And I I, I drew their sizes to reflect that. No, oh, that okay. I did not actually draw Ratty in Badger's mouth. <laughs> well, no, no, you didn't give them. Basically, what you're saying is that you didn't give them these um, anthropological um, proportions, where everyone is roughly the same height and build. Yeah, I, I didn't. I tried to anthropomorphize as little as possible while still, you know, putting clothes on them, because they they are described as wearing clothes. And uh, yeah, and I tried. I tried to just. I tried to draw them as tr- as true to the animals they're supposed to be as I as I can, and. Like when I draw a toad in a scene where there are humans, I don't draw a toad as being the same size as a human being because he's a toad. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes him look all the more ridiculous. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I've seen renditions of these characters where I think the edition I had showed them much this, of similar height. And uh, I think they were playing off of that. That mm-hmm. whole, uh, oh yeah, these are these are people in animal skins. Yeah, I mean they do act like they are. They are. In fact, an interesting thing about the Wind and the Willows is all the characters are based, or m- many of the characters. I don't know if it's all of them, are based on real people that uh, the author knew or knew of. 
Oh, okay. So he likened their personalities to these animals. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you know, whoever had to be the toad. I'm not sure who that. I'm not. I'm not sure who toad was. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't somebody he liked all that fondly. Well, a toad is um, pompous and annoying and uh, uh, grandiose and a bit silly, but he is a pleasant enough fellow. Mm-hmm. Under all that, you know, you want to kick him sometimes, but he's he's not a bad a bad sort. He's a dreamer. Yeah, he's he's a. Uh, He's sort of a, um, a dissolute um, fellow who's been quite coddled and pampered all his life. He's got plenty of money and not not a whole lot of sense, and he doesn't he doesn't understand the world very well. He never really had to worry about it. No, he didn't. So so he he he, he latches onto the new trend, like the motor car and so forth, and he he thinks he's he thinks he's all that. <laughs> he's a hipster. He, He's a hipster. Ha, he's a hi. Hip- <laughs> yeah, he's like the original hipster. Although aren't hipsters supposed to be sort of uh, world weary, and, and they're supposed to um, no, you know, it's purchased. Really, I thought, I thought everybody else liked hipsters. They can't like. I I don't know. I'm not sure what defines a hipster. It's it's just you go to an op shop, pay some money, roll around in the clothing, and. Leave with combs stuck in your hair and mismatched clothing and um, a whole bunch of 1970s and 80s T-shirts and there you go. Ew! Why would anyone do that? It's fashionable. Yeah. <laughs> it's fashionable to be out of fashion. Oh, um, I would rather just be fashionable by wearing nice clothes and looking pretty. <laughs> Well, it's basically to treat that which is not timeless as timeless. Oh, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Well, it sounds go. good anyway. <laughs> Running around with a Dukes of Hazard t-shirt. Uh-huh. Not quite timeless, the Dukes of Hazard. No, I don't, I'm not sure who the Dukes of Hazard are supposed to be. What, you don't know the Dukes of Hazard? Just, just good old boys? Never uh, meeting, no bear harm? In mind, bear in mind that I had got my first television when I was like 15. Well, you know, it's beat all you ever saw. They've been in trouble with the law since the day they were born. Oh, okay. Are these real people we're talking about or a cartoon? Oh, they're they're real people. Uncle Jesse, Boss Hog, Cletus. Cletus? Oh, yeah. Roscoe P. Coltrane, the, sh- the local sheriff. Of course. Oh, okay. I thought they were like Thundercats. No, these are real people. You haven't heard of, you never heard of Daisy Duke. Uh, yeah, I've heard of the shorts. The yeah, well, they were Daisy Duke popularized that look. Oh, I didn't know where that came from. Now you now do. You're gonna have yeah. to do a whole. Th- now you're gonna have to go online and learn all you can about the Dukes of Hazard. Oh joy! Another <laughs> weekend project. I have been working on this drawing all weekend. I try to avoid working on weekends, but this weekend I'm working. Oh God! Well, I think mm-hmm. I think we've reached it to the end. I, once once a Dukes of Hazard reference is made, that pretty much makes it the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we covered quite a bit of ground, though. Which oh, yeah. is, you know, I think it's just kind of especially impressive because Patrick wasn't usually wasn't here, and he's usually the one who makes us stay on topic. That's right, and you know, and it was today. Patrick was this is his birthday weekend, so Patrick is, pro- is enjoying himself properly on his birthday. 
Happy birthday, Patrick. Happy birthday, Patrick. But, uh, well, you know, if, I, if anybody wants to announce anything, we can wrap it up. Oh, wait, I forgot I was supposed to announce something. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, there's this uh, Kickstarter project, which is mm-hmm. called Birds of Lore. And it's about birds, uh, you know, mythological birds and stuff. Um, so if you have money and you and you, you like birds, you should uh, support it. Oh, what the hell is the URL? Well, if you just Google a Kickstarter Birds of Lore, you should find it. Uh, Jeremy will put it in the show notes. How about that? Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, when is this gonna? When is this episode gonna go out? Because I think there's only like nine days left or something. Well, I I'll try to get it out in the next day or so, but I'm running around crazy. Oh well, no! You know, not to worry. Uh, just do your best, uh, Jeremy. Promote it, promote it, promote it. Go on Facebook, Sokar. Go on Facebook and promote it. I did. I did that. I totally did. Again and again. Again and again. And again. I start to annoy people who are following me on Facebook. Of course. That's the whole point. Oh, okay. Well, I put it on my blog as well. In fact, if you don't get at least five D friends, then you're doing it wrong. Doing it wrong. That's right. I don't want to get defriended. (laughs) <laughs> I have more friends on Facebook than I have in my actual than I have actual friends. <laughs> and I don't even know most of them. It's like, wow, these people don't even know me and they're my friends. Oh, How did baby. that happen? Yeah, it makes me look cool when I have more friends. I thought about randomly friending a whole bunch of people just so I would look more cool, but then I decided not to because that would actually take time. Oh. Well, if, well, folks, we'll we'll spam you. Go check out Birds of Lore, and uh, learn more about the project and the Kickstarter program they've started. And Gen Con was a great trip, and I want to thank once again my friends over at Dragon Dice for helping me out. It was great to be able to exhibit there this year. I didn't think I was going to be able to, but they uh, they helped me out. It was great. And uh, if you folks ever get chances to uh, exhibit with your publishers, it's always a good time. At least that's that's been my experience so far. It was a good time. And um, hmm, anything you want to announce there, Kieran? No. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, was a, that was a that was a no of extreme apathy. I think so. I think yeah. I think Karen has entirely too many things to announce. That's why he's he's just being modest. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a lazy Sunday afternoon. I want to thank you guys for joining us. This is um, this has been the Ninja Mountain Podcast. Feel free to chime in over at where, where can I send them? Where can I send them, Karen? Uh, KarenYano.com. And Sokar? At goreblimey.com. And where can I send them for the podcast? Shall I Um, continue sending them over to ninjamountain.blogspot.com until we've got our uh, ducks in a row? uh, We uh, we can. Um, uh, I would just mention both. um, And, you know, just know that we're we're all trying to make time to uh, get it together. Oh, yeah. We're still in development, folks, on ninjamountain.org. 
Yeah, we're going to try and get that forum up and running for you. We see that some of you have registered and you're getting impatient and you've started your thread to complain about the fact that we're not around. We see you! <laughs> <laughs> I've been out of town, folks. Sorry. We, we are, we are going to fix that. We're going we're gonna to get that forum up and running and uh, it's, it's going to be cool. And uh, we've, we've had a lot of nice suggestions from you guys that we're going to try and incorporate. And uh, yeah, it'll be there. Just give us some time. Good times in the near horizon. Mm -hmm. So I'll take this opportunity to cue the musication. Yeah, we're not going to use theme music anymore. We'll just let Silkar ring us out. <laughs> Sorry. I always feel compelled to sing when you say cue the music. No, you, you, you started it. Just bring us, bring us home there, Silkar. Make us believe. That's it. Man, yeah. that is that God. is that's not exactly epic, is it? No, that was pretty bad. Sorry. Not exactly John Williams. I can't sing. I got kicked out of my high school choir twice. Twice? How did you get kicked out twice? Did you sneak back in? They fought, they, they caught you? No, the first time I got kicked out for pinching some guy's ass, and the second time I got kicked out for not being able to sing. Wow. The fact that you got caught for pinching a guy's ass before that, <laughs> before they discovered you couldn't sing, that just, wow. Yeah. Well, I think at that time I wasn't actually singing, I was just like pretending. Okay, you were, you were basically in the third row back, just mouthing the words. Yeah, pretty much. I was just there to, I don't know, support my friends and pinch asses. <laughs>